Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Chase Thomas podcast the Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, everything school HQ up there in New York City. It's one of my favorites. It's a great Thank bit. You. Fangraph Zone. Oh, oh no. Formerly Fangraph Zone, yes. not Fangraphs, as you can see. This is going to take me some time. I've been doing that for years now, John Taylor, that I've realized that I'm going to do that for a little bit. I'm going to yeah, have to I, really I, work on this. I still think I work at Fangraphs sometimes. I wake up in the morning, I mm-hmm. open the C- I open our, our, our CMS, and I'm like, wait, no, I don't have to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I try to edit articles anyway, because it's just it's force of habit. But yeah, yes, now I'm, you're editing not, trains. Now I'm editing the trains. <laughs> Um, but yes, I am not Fangraphs now. No, no. But look, we still love Fangraphs. This is still Take Graphs, a Major League Baseball show each and every week on this very feed. John Taylor, don't forget, folks, every single week on this show, year round, even when the hot stove is not hot whatsoever, we are still talking Major League Baseball here on the Chase Thomas Podcast here on YouTube. Uh, the YouTube show has been doing great each and every week here as we uh, get through the the grind of the off season here we're we're in the we're in the quietest part of the MLB calendar still a while before pitchers and catchers reporting and everything else wrapping up in terms of trades and free agents and this that and the other but each and every week so if you're a fan of this very show and you're watching us on YouTube first say uh great and uh, we appreciate it make sure you give us a like and a subscribe if you uh, like watching each and every episode here on the youtube show you can also check us out on apple spotify river gear podcast make sure you like and subscribe and uh, leave us a five-star rating and write us a review on your preferred podcast player it helps other people find the show and it helps this very show continue to grow 
You can also email us with any future MLB questions you might have for John or myself at Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. Love to hear from you guys or comment below in this very video. John Taylor, take graphs, yeah. take of the week, good sir. What have you in store for us this week? What is wrong with the with with the offseason? Like and, and this is mm. I should say like We've now had a few years for a variety of reasons where off, the offseason and free agency is just kind of slow. And sometimes that gets upended, like during the lockout uh, offseason when we had all of free agency happen in the span of roughly two hours. But, you know, even now going as far back as the Manny Machado, Bryce Harper offseason, we've really gotten to a point where free agency just doesn't move. And not just hmm. doesn't move, but and this, this offseason in particular, no one seems to be spending whatsoever beyond the Dodgers you know, uh, and and uh, maybe a couple other teams, but really just the Dodgers, we have not mm. really seen a whole lot of movement. If you look at, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll keep plugging fan graphs forever because I love them and, and mm. they do great work. But if you look at our uh, the 2024 transaction tracker, or not, sorry, not the transaction tracker, I'm, I'm getting it all wrong. The off-season tracker, eh, maybe mm. not even the off-season tracker. Let's just find something better than that. Here's our 2024 free agent tracker hour. Mm-hmm. Maybe that forever. Um, they're still still available right now. Jordan Montgomery, Cody Bellinger, Blake Snell, Matt Chapman, Marcus Stroman, uh, Brandon Belt, Mike Clevenger, J.D. Martinez, Jorge Soler, Adam Duvall, Tommy Pham, or oldest Chapman, Teoscar Hernandez, Josh Hader, uh, you know, on and on and on. And while we've had a handful of top free agent sign, obviously Shohei Otani's off the board, obviously uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto's off the board, and a couple of middle-tier pitchers, the Seth Lugos, Michael Wakas, Lucas Giolitos of the world. Particularly, we haven't seen hitters get signed. Mitch Garver, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., I believe so far, are and sorry, Heimer Candelario, yes, are the mm. only three hitters so far to get a longer-than-one-year deal uh, in, in this free agency period. That's mm. it. Everyone else has been, every other hitter who signed, and there have not been many of them either, has been a simple one-year deal. And there, I mean, I guess there are two ways you could look at it. One is that, as we've talked about before, this is not a great free agency period for hitters in particular. Uh, aside from kind of top of the market pitchers, there wasn't a whole lot else available. Josh Hader's really about the only elite closer, even top tier closer available. From him, you're drifting on down to Craig Kimber, who's already signed. Beyond that, mm-hmm. it's David Robertson. You know, maybe if you still think there's anything left in that arm. But at the same time, it is so strange to me, again, that it just doesn't feel like, you know, it feels like a lot of these teams that uh, aren't moving, or, you know, better said, noting that the Dodgers have been the busiest, most active free ag- or team in the in the offseason free agency, behind them is probably the Royals. Hmm. I don't think it's really a good sign for an offseason or for free agency when the Royals are one of the most active, highest spending teams, and which is not to crap on the Royals. Kudos to them for actually doing stuff. Well, let's um, pause for a second there. For the good folks who have... No earthy idea what you're talking about, John Taylor, yes. in terms of an active Kansas City Royals. What have the Kansas City Royals done to put them in that number two hole for you? They've signed Seth Lugo and Michael Waka. Mm-hmm. And Chris Stratton and Will Smith. I believe they have the most signings of any team so far. Really? Uh, it's that They have four signings. The Pirates have signed four players, although one of them was Jake Lamb to a minor league deal. Mm. Uh, the Mets have signed four players to guaranteed major league contracts, but all of them one year deals at, and except, except for Luis Severino, no more than $2 million. Uh, the Brewers have signed four players, but you know, it's Wade Miley, Colin Ray, Eric Haas, and Joe Ross. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, The Dodgers have signed five or four to guaranteed contracts. The Angels have signed three players to guaranteed contracts. The Royals, as I said said before, have signed four. No, six, seven, seven. They've signed they've signed quite a a few. I I forgot Garrett Hampson and uh, Mike Trout clone Hunter Renfro. The Mm -hmm. Tigers have been semi busy. Jack Flaherty, Kent Ameda, Shelby Miller, Andrew Chafin uh, rebuilding the back of the rotation, their bullpen. The Royal, or sorry, the Royals, the Reds have been relatively busy with Candelario, Nick Martinez, uh, Emilio Pagan, and most recently Frankie Montes. Uh, the White Sox keep doing stuff, although I, I don't know if you really count Martin Maldonado and Paul Dion. But regardless, and then the the Braves, obviously with their bullpen moves, I think Ari- it looks Arizona has been relatively busy, but getting Eduardo Rodriguez and, and bringing back towards Guriel. But for the most part, you don't see, and, and I think you, you probably can hear this. None of those teams necessarily, not none, but the great majority of those teams are not playoff teams. Mm. You know, in terms of the teams we expect to see in the playoffs, the Blue Jays' entire offseason to date consists of Kevin Kiermeyer and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa in terms of signings. Mm. The Rays have signed Chris Devensky. That's it so far. Uh, the Cardinals have been busy, and they've signed Sonny Gray and Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn, so there's at least one, but uh, the Mariners have only signed Mitch Garver. The Giants mm. have really only signed Jung-Ho Lee. The Yankees have signed all of one player so far this offseason, Billy McKinney, to a minor league deal. Um, the Twins have signed one player, former Royals reliever Josh Stomont. The Red Sox have signed Lucas Giolito and not a whole lot else. The Cubs have signed one single player this offseason, Jorge Alfaro, to a minor league deal. I Cleveland has signed one player to a guaranteed contract, Austin Hedges, who is basically the Jeff Mathis of our times. Uh, mm-hmm. I mentioned the Braves, but you'll notice also some teams that are missing there. The Phillies uh, have not made a guaranteed major league signing. Or sorry, they have Aaron Nola, but beyond I was going to say Nola counts. Yeah, yeah, I, f- I forgot about that. But they have they have not signed anything beyond that. Uh, I mentioned the Cubs have not been particularly busy. The Orioles do not have a single guaranteed major league signing on the books so far this offseason. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. that's incorrect. They have Craig Kimbrell. Why do I keep getting this wrong? Doesn't matter. Either way. <laughs> Again, we're not seeing a whole lot of movement, though. Again, and especially from division winners. Baltimore has made one move. The Twins have made mm-hmm. one move. Uh, you know, the Rangers, which granted the Rangers did their work a few off-seasons ago, but they have not really done yeah. much of anything so far this off-season, uh, with the exception of uh, a, a deal I like, incentive-laden for Tyler Melee, but uh, still, that that's about it so far. Uh, like I said, the Rays have not done much of anything. The Yankees, granted, they traded for Juan Soto, but they have not been active in free agency. Mm-hmm. And all of these are teams that could use the help that's still out there. Every one of these teams could use Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery. The great majority of them could use Cody Bellinger. The majority of them could use Matt Chapman in some capacity or another. I know that for a lot of those teams, those are either imperfect fits or very expensive fits. But it, it is wild to me uh, in this day and age how little free agency seems to be a thing that matters at this point. And some of that mm-hmm. is just the, the sheer, or not the sheer, but just the logistical realities of free agency, which is that you are perpetually, with the exception of, of unicorns like Otani or Yamamoto, you're getting guys who are 30 or on the wrong side of 30, who are looking for their, in most cases, their first major payday. And so you're putting out a pretty large uh, outlay for guys that, for the most part, are not going to, quote unquote, earn that deal Um in its in its entirety it's going to be a lot of it's going to be the the production is going to be front loaded the cost is going to be somewhat back loaded and so i think you know you're seeing and with the fact that more and more teams i think front office wise at this point behave in pretty much the same ways they've all i think seemingly come to the conclusion that free agency just isn't worth the juice Mm -hmm. and i can understand that from a financial like just in terms of just efficient financial efficiency perspective you know 
if that's not the best way to use your money. But it does kind of worry me going forward because free agency, historically, uh, in its existence, has been the main way that players get paid, or at least paid mm -hmm. on a scale that is appropriate relative to their production. Because we haven't really seen that money trickle down in terms of, uh, it, maybe to a certain degree, but not in terms of, uh, of arbitration, not in terms of long-term deals signed before then. You know, the free market, which, you know, as any, as any red-blooded capitalist will tell you, the free market is where you make the most money because you are unencumbered by any, any limitations, so to speak. But if teams mm -hmm. are just going to treat free agency as essentially a waiting period, and I think you, you, you know, the Ross Atkins, the, the Blue Jays general manager, talked to the press today, uh, either today or yesterday, I can't remember, and basically spelled it out as that the part of the Blue Jays strategy is just to wait some of these guys out. Mm -hmm. Wait until they get desperate enough to a point to sign a, a, a smaller deal than they would have been expecting to try to make it more financially viable for the club, which mm -hmm. fair strategy. That's that's how the that's how the Blue Jays want to run their business. And that's how pretty much every team wants to run their business. They want to get the unless you're the Dodgers, dollar, unless you're the Dodgers. But and, and that's kind of part of the point, too, is like there is there is value to just saying, no, we're just going to sign the guy. Granted, the Dodgers have mm -hmm. all the money in the world, but they also went out and used it properly by signing the two best players available to make themselves better. It, it's not a good sign, I think, for baseball's overall either fiscal health or competitive health if free agency becomes this just kind of withered appendage when it comes to adding players. If every team is operating in the same way, which is to say not spending the money, trying to wait these guys out, because then it raises the question, well, when are these guys going to get paid ex exactly? Which brings mm. up all the other issues that have been percolating under the surface and, and not just on, under the surface, but fully in view for every last CBA negotiation, the two most recent ones and the one we'll get anew in 2026. Not too far away now. We are only two years away from the expiration of that CBA. So get ready for that fun again. So it, well, can it, I ask you this, John? Yeah, what? Because yeah. I was listening to the good guys over there at Just Baseball yesterday, uh, mm -hmm. riding around, and they made a good point where I hadn't really considered this. Is like I wonder how much of this is like because Cody Bellinger, we've talked about in this program, and where he's a good fit, and this, that, and the other, and he's a good player. Like Cody Bellinger could help a lot of teams, but Cody Bellinger, it looks like, is going to have a higher AAV if you sign him than what Bryce Harper is going to make in twenty twenty four. And I wonder if that just like because of the nature of where the money is and how much just the money has changed in the last, I don't know, when did Bryce Harper uh, agree to that deal? How long ago was that, John? Uh, that was the 2019 offseason, I believe. Okay. And that's just a lot of change very quickly. So I wonder how much of it like with ownership groups and stuff like that to get them to sign off. They're like, you want us to pay how much a year for Cody Bellinger when Bryce Harper is making X and he's an NL MVP guy. He's someone who moves the needle in terms of winning a title. Like, I wonder how much of it is just that is just the price tag jumps so much for guys that don't move the needle. Cause so many of these guys are not, um, you know, Shohei Otani's and in, in this scale, like Blake Snell, it was, great was pitcher. Before okay. Uh, before the 2019 season for the record. Okay. Does that make sense? But I, I hadn't really considered it. And I thought that was an interesting thought of just like maybe that being part of it. It's like Cody Bellinger is going to make more money than Bryce Harper based on what he signs this year. Yeah. And I mean, some of this is, and, and we've seen it throughout, throughout the off season so far that a lot of these deals have had like the super high AAV figures in the beginning. And then the money's all front loaded because they want to try to, to pay less in the, down the road. Obviously, you saw that, too, with Otani's deal, which has a, a huge chunk of it deferred into the future. I, I ultimately just think, though, that 
teams and ownership have finally come to a common ground because remember ownership has never been in favor of free agency ownership fought free agency the whole way there have been mm -hmm. numerous collusion scandals uh, among ownership since the advent of free agency the 1994 strike was in large part because owners wanted to institute some form of salary cap and wage controls that the MLBPA rightfully said absolutely no way you know, ownership has always been against free agency. Now they also have on their side the fact that the great majority of front offices don't really think free agency is the way to operate either. Because, again, you're signing mm -hmm. guys at, at the wrong age. And it should be noted, too, of, again, of the guys available this season or in this offseason. Um, and, you know, with, with some exceptions, uh, all on the all on the wrong side of 30. You know, Otani, uh, Bellinger actually at 28 is one of the exceptions. Uh, Yamamoto obviously at 25, Jung Ho Lee at 25, everyone else pretty much on the on either at 30 or on the wrong side of it. These are not investments these teams want to make. Which part of this too is that every front office is now essentially run like a hedge fund or like a like mm. a financial institution, where it's it's not so much about what the player can do for you today; it's about what's it going to cost to have him tomorrow. And I think, like I said, that is just not good for the overall health of the sport because what you're seeing is teams that should be in a position because of where they are in their own contention cycle to make a big move, to make a big addition that, that uh, improves or reinforces their, their postseason odds or their championship odds instead choosing to stay put and, and let things try to play out in a more financially effect, efficient manner, which again, great. If you own the Chicago Cubs or the Toronto Blue Jays and you want a bigger return on investment, not great. If you're a Cubs or Blue Jays fan and your team is just sitting completely still letting a potential uh, contention window close all that much more because you don't want to spend. So mm -hmm. and, and I've, I've railed about this before. I've railed about this plenty that a large problem in baseball right now is teams do not want to spend with exceptions like the Dodgers. And even then the Dodgers would not have done the Shohei Otani deal were he not Shohei Otani, which I know sounds obvious, but more to the point, he is a very special player. He is unique like in, in both, uh, his abilities and where he and where he entered the market. Same with Yamamoto, and to a certain and to a lesser degree, same with Jung Ho Lee. You know, those guys do not usually twenty five and under players do not make do not become available on the free agent market, and especially not at the level of talent those guys operate at. So, you know, I, I, again, I, I just it just worries me going forward that this does not seem to be something you know in in past cold off seasons, uh, cold stove times. You know, we said oh, but the lockout or oh, but you know, maybe it's just not a good free agency period, but no, it, it, this just seems to be at this point, I, it seems to be, I think just is the new normal for how free agency operates, which is to say the big guys get their money. Everyone else just kind of is forced to sit around and wait. And again, I, I don't really think that's good for the game. You know, kudos to the Tigers and the Royals um, and other, you know, and the Reds for actually making moves. But at the same time, there's more that can be done. I think, you know, I saw the, uh, the Reds uh, general manager, Nick Kroll, saying that the Reds are done with their major moves for the offseason. To me, it's like, what major moves? You signed Heimer Candelario and Nick Martinez and Emilio Pagan. That counts as major moves now? When 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 you have other options, like Blake Snell would make would make a ton of sense for the Cincinnati Reds. So would Jordan but Montgomery. If, so do you would think Josh Blake Snell would want to go to the Reds? If you offer him enough money, I'm sure he would. At the end of the day, like yeah. agents can't control everything and like they can say yes or no to teams. But if you only have one team offering you the money. Yeah. Which and I know that's also part of this is it. Look, for, this is not and it's not to say owners are colluding, but this is essentially a kind of informal borderline accidental collusion 
Because again, mm-hmm. every team in front office operates more or less the same way. And they've mm-hmm. all, you know, come to the, not even come to the conclusion, but all accepted the idea that, hey, free agency isn't worth it. We should not be spending our money here unless there is an Otani level talent available. And even then, like we saw back with Harper and Machado, like we've seen in offseason since, and as we saw with Otani, even that's not enough to motivate some teams. Even the yeah. presence of the arguably the best player any of us will ever see is not enough to get some teams to spend. So, and I don't know how you change that. I know there's been talk or, or discussion about you know a salary a salary floor or about some kind of hard uh, uh, roster act move deadline in terms of uh, an end to free agency as opposed to letting it continue indefinitely into the start of the season. You know, I, I don't think that that solves anything necessarily. I think it might create more problems than it fixes. You know, there's to say nothing of. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily like the idea of there being limits and encumberments upon the free agency system, but it's pretty clear that free agency as it exists now is in a is in a state that is neither beneficial toward the toward the players, except for the the elite, nor is it beneficial for fans when contending teams like the Cubs, like the Blue Jays, like the Yankees are just content to sit it out completely. Like the Met, even the Mets, like again, all the most money they've handed out this season or this offseason is thirteen million dollars for a one year deal to Luis Severino, who was awful last season. Hmm. You know, this is a team owned by a literal billionaire, and, and yet they're not out there making the kind of moves you would expect with that. And I, I just, I can't see how that's a good thing overall for the sport or for the health of the sport, particularly from a competitive perspective. I wanted to do an experiment and double check something because I, my instinct was this is the case. Guess how many of the nine, one through nine for the Braves in 2024 Guess how many of them were acquired by a free agency? Um, I'm going to say one at the max, but I, I don't even know who it would be. Zero. See, I was going to say it's either one or zero. I just couldn't remember if Ozuna had signed as a free agent or if he'd been in trade. Mm. Trade. So you look at Ozuna, Acuna, Michael Harris, Jared Kalinick, uh, Arcia, who was traded two years ago in uh, a deal with the Brewers, Austin Riley, Ozzy Albies, Matt Olson. Sean Murphy in a trade. That's it. And I think, and I wonder if that's part of it is like teams are just going draft. And then if they don't want to do that, then they're like, I wonder if free agency is just the last ditch effort where a lot of, yeah, I think that's what's happening. And I think a lot of teams see the Braves as the model going forward. You develop from within, you acquire from without when guys are still uh, early in their careers, when they are both not expensive. And also when you can try to lock them down Mm -hmm. on, um, on cheaper long-term deals like the one the Braves gave Acuna or like the offensive one they gave Ozzy Albies or even even a deal like Matt Olson's which certainly is you know a nine-figure outlay but at the same time Matt Olson in free agency theoretically would and should get more than that so mm-hmm. yeah I, I think everyone wants to be the Braves in that sense they want to acquire a core while it's young extended in place not have to deal with free agency yeah. and if a player does reach free agency as Max Fried is going to next offseason ideally yeah. you already have a replacement in-house ready so you don't have to take part in the open bidding um, mm-hmm. Again, that well, is the Braves don't. By the way, just as a heads up, folks, I don't think the Braves have an in-house. Option no, for I mean, Max look Reed. at look at the fact that every move they've made this offseason, more or less, with the exception of signing a couple of relievers in Reynaldo Lopez, and um, oh no, was Joe Jimenez already there? Either way, the, he was already there. Yeah. So Reynaldo Pierce Johnson is the guy I'm thinking of. Aside from signing yeah. a couple of relievers, every move they've made otherwise has been some form of trade because, and I think largely because they don't want to spend the extra money through free agency, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, which has worked out fine for them. I think, you know, the major moves they made, Kalenic, Aaron Bummer, and Chris Sale, 
I think are all fine, and they probably would not necessarily have gotten more at that same price point in free agency. But I think it's also telling that they'd rather do that than, say, give Blake Snell $25 million a year for the next six years. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I guess that's, that's, that is kind of the thing. It's like that form of free agency seems to be on the way out. You know, you're still mm-hmm. going to get a leak guy sign of their deals. Blake Snell is still going to get a long-term deal at some point. So is Jordan Montgomery. So is Cody Bellinger. You know, so is Matt Chapman. So is Josh Hader. But it is not, it, it, like you said, I you know, the way that teams are built, I think the model now is Atlanta, which I think mm-hmm. is especially funny too. And, and not, not that Texas did it entirely through free agency, but again, given how Texas in large part acquired a huge chunk of its World Series winning roster through free agency, including mega mm-hmm. deals for Marcus Semyon and Corey Seager, you know, it's funny. It's a, it's a copycat league, but there's also one more than one way to build a winner. And I do think that neglecting free agency the way a lot of teams have is going to prove to be a, a detriment overall. You know, again, all it costs is money. And if there's one thing baseball teams, every baseball team has loads and loads of, it's money. Everyone has it. Uh, absolutely, John Taylor. Well, speaking of the Braves, this is a natural transition, uh, John Taylor, because our teams did a deal since yes. we last recorded a podcast, John what Taylor. The last Braves Red Sox trade. Was it a Frank Grin era type deal? Are we it going back to Frank Grin? Uh, was it, it um, was. I'm trying to think, would it be not Derek Lowe? Um, would it be I think I'm, I'm JD up, Drew? I'm looking up, uh, just because now I want to answer my own question. I'm looking up, and this is a tool you can, you can find on Baseball Reference, a trade partners tool, which will uh-huh. tell you all trades made between two franchises. Uh, so before the before this, uh, this, this trade we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. uh, the Braves acquired Hoy Park from the Red Sox for a player to be named later. So not really. The last major trade between these two teams, Casey Kochman for Adam LaRoche back in back at the trade deadline in 2009. Wow. Before that, and this is probably the, the most wow. major trade in the past, Edgar Renteria for Andy Marte back in 2005. Okay. And before that, picking. you have to go all the way back to 1995 at the July 31st trade deadline. Mike Stanton to the Red Sox uh, for Mike Jacobs Mar- and Mark Lewis. Hmm. It, they, they, these deals don't really happen. I mean, the, the best yeah. one in here, uh, Tom House for Roger Murray. Uh, that's a pretty good one. Uh, <laughs> that's really, I think it probably is either the Casey Kochman, Adam LaRoche trade or the Edgar Renneria, Andy Marte trade is the biggest trade in Red Sox Braves history. Hmm. But maybe, well, there you maybe, go. The Chris, maybe the Chris Sale trade now, now will beat them all out. I think it might, John. Well, it's all... You don't see many moves where it's like, this is just a full-on playoff move. Like, this is just a full-on, like, the Braves have no, like, hey, we need 20. Because I think he, what, did Chris Hill get 20 starts last year? Uh, Something along those lines. I I don't even know if he made that many. I'm going to guess it's probably closer to 15 if he made that many. Okay. Um, But either way, he pitched more than I think people realize. And it's because of what it's been he like. Made the exactly, last three. He made exactly 20 starts. Look at you. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, that's the thing. It's like, that's pretty good. If he gets anywhere in, around that uh, in 2024, that's cool. But it was interesting to read the fallout and the, the back and forth and what this trade means for both teams. But let's start 
on the Boston side because that is where uh, you are both a fan of and more familiar with in mm-hmm. knowing what uh, the new uh, president, uh, Mr. Breslow, is thinking here. But I thought maybe the most fascinating thing to me, and maybe this is something you could touch on too, is that like the plan is for Von Grissom to be the everyday second baseman in 2024, which yep. um, I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, that's a bold move because I watched a lot of Von Grissom at shortstop to start this past year, and that did uh, not go well. And I thought he was going to, if he was going to be an everyday player, which I think is always going to be hard for Von Grissom in Major League Baseball, I thought it would be in the outfield uh for him potentially left field but the fact that he is going to get the opportunity to start every day at second base for the red sox uh in 2024 um kind of kind of raised an eyebrow for me a little bit in terms of that being the plan for boston but Mm -hmm. what say you john taylor why did the red sox do this and what do you think about von grissom as the everyday second baseman for boston so the Red Sox did this, in, I think, for two reasons. One is that Chris Sale, whatever he would provide, and I'm going to put the cap of that. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Like 120 mostly fine innings just isn't mm-hmm. that valuable to a Red Sox team that is probably not going to be a playoff contender. You know, mm-hmm. they're just not only that. But even if you assume, okay, well, hold on to him during the season and try to move him at the deadline for who does need pitching, yeah, you can't count on Chris Sale being healthy for that to work. That That is a mm. tough plan to make. And I think, too, to some degree, not being able to plan for or around Chris Sale, not really knowing how his health is going to hold up, what he's going to be able to give you, I think complicates your ability, if you're the Red Sox, to make rotation plans beyond him. And I think you saw that literally play out in the way the team signed Lucas Giolito and then immediately went and traded Sale. I think mm-hmm. the plan there was that they no longer wanted Sale in the rotation and would get pretty much whatever they could for him. But I think in Grissom, uh, one, I, the Red Sox have had a seriously hard time in the last pretty much since Dustin Pedroia retired trying to find a even competent body to stand in at second base for any any reasonable stretch of time. I don't know if Grissom is that. He's a good bat-to-ball hitter. He's got good contact skills. There's not a lot of power in his bat. Uh, good speed, but as you saw, as you've said with his defense, it's very iffy. He clearly couldn't handle shortstop. I'm not 100% convinced on his ability to handle second base, but he's got three things going for him. He is young, he is cheap, he is under team control for the next five seasons at the very least. So if nothing else, Boston can take this gamble, particularly when you consider, too, that if you look at the free agent market for second baseman, there really was not and is not a whole lot out there. You know, we were talking about guys like Whit Merrifield as options there, Tim Anderson, and that's about as bad as it gets. To say nothing of the fact that not only is that as bad as it gets, 
but you're also probably out some $10 million if you do that to get a guy who's probably not even going to put up a one war season. If Grissom gives you a one war season, that's not great. But if all it costs you is $700,000, there are worse ways to spend that money. You know, you're not really out much of anything at all. So I think in that sense, a Boston team that's trying to cut payroll and is also trying to find some kind of long-term or at least short, either long-term solution or short-term uh, uh, gap covering, it makes sense for them to add Grissom, especially in a guy in sale who is not really does not really make sense with their plans. What I find a little odd is that they would swap out essentially sale for Giolito when I think there's probably one, a better bet that sale is more productive, not as many innings, which I think is important because Boston is really low on starting pitching depth. And I think they probably prefer having the, the stability of knowing that Giolito will give you probably 160 to 180 innings if he stays healthy. Whereas sale again, I really can't see him getting over 120. His arm is just not the same as it was anymore. The thing with Giolito though is, you know, or with sale rather, he only had one year left on his contract. Giolito, they had to sign for two, or they signed for one with an option. Giolito can opt out after the first season, or he can opt in after after the first season, uh, obviously depending what he chooses to do. So if Giolito has a bad 2024, he's almost certainly going to opt into 2025. If he's a Red Sox, we stuck with two years of a bad pitcher, as opposed to one year of potentially a bad pitcher and then letting him walk. But again, I think some of that is just having this, the, the kind of comfort of, well, at least... Even if Giolito gives you bad innings, at least there are more of those innings, so we don't have to give them to the likes of Brandon Walter or Chris Murphy. Um, and I think it makes sense, ultimately, like I said, the the upside, it's, it's all about the upside play in Grissom and the opportunity to get at least league average production at second base, which the Red Sox haven't had in seemingly forever for a very low sum of money. Uh, opening up more rotation space, too, I think, if they want to see what some younger guys like Tanner Houck can do. So I, I think it does make sense from that respect. I, and I think on the other side for Atlanta, like you said, it, it really is all about what Sale can do when October rolls around if he's healthy. Because clearly the Braves do not give the tiniest of a crap about what a fifth starter does during the regular season. Mm-hmm. Because clearly they believe, and with good reason, that a fifth starter simply does not matter during the regular season. Or better said, not doesn't matter, but that his performance is less important than what he can theoretically do in October. And so, yeah, you're the best team in baseball, and you're throwing out Dylan Dodd sometimes, Bryce Elder sometimes, AJ Smith Shaver sometimes. I mean, they like, Elder, it doesn't they, matter. They turn Bryce Elder into an all star. Like, that's kind of the other thing with Atlanta yeah. is they've got the resources to make to get the best out of Chris Sale. And even if all they get is 120 innings out of him, they can still backfill that what's left with other. I mean, the, I imagine the hope is that, you know, assuming Sale can give them like 120 or so innings, you fill the rest ideally with guys like AJ Smith Shaver or Hurston Waldrop if he's ready. Or you just see, hey, maybe one of our minor league guys just takes a really huge step forward randomly mm. and becomes a dude, like Dylan Dodd or Darius Vines. Like, maybe one of those guys just randomly unlocks something, or we unlock something with him, and or, then we don't really need to worry about Sale only giving us 100-plus innings. Well, I think the other part of it, too, is that they brought Morton back, right? Yeah. I think this screams to me, they believe if our... Here's what this screams to me more than anything, mm-hmm. is I think... They look at it as if Reed's healthy, if Strider's healthy, all we need is one of these two main veterans to be healthy and we can win the World Series. We can win any seven game series where they're just like, I don't care if it's Morton. I don't care if it's Sale. One of those two, we're going to bank on one of those two being good enough, healthy enough in the postseason to carry that three man group and we can piece everything else together is my yeah. goal. If, and then, no, and that, and that makes perfect sense for the Braves. What matters isn't the quantity of innings, but the yeah. quality. And like you said, particularly when you get to October, especially because by that point, all you're asking Morton and or Sale to do is get through a lineup twice. Right. 
because then, and that's, you know, that's where Atlanta's real strength comes in, which is we have 90 relievers, all of whom are good and who can yeah. pitch the last four innings of any game in existence. So long as Morton or Sale can get you through five innings, that's pretty much all you need. So I, I yeah. think it makes, I think I like the deal more for Atlanta than I do for Boston. Um, yeah. So long as the Braves don't plan on wearing throwback uniforms anytime soon, but, or so long as, you know, vaccine, the vaccine is not a requirement. Although I, I'm pretty sure Sale did get jabbed at some point. So that's probably not an issue anymore, but yeah, I, I think, I think it makes, I think I like it more for Atlanta. I think it fits just better with what they've been doing. The other part of it too, is with Boston paying down a chunk of sales salary and with some of it being deferred, they're basic. They're not really paying all that much for him. You look at, yeah. if you pull up uh, on, or we're going to have, he's going to get 27 million this year. And then how much is Boston paying of that 27 million? I believe about 17 million of that is being Woo! paid by the Red Sox. So yeah, Chris so sales, just not be there. Chris Sale's salary for 2024 will be essentially $500,000, given how much the Red Sox are paying and how much of it is deferred into the future. You are not, not a bad deal. You, you're not going to do better than that on the open market. You know, in a, in a market where, where Seth Lugo is pulling down $15 million a year, where Michael Walk is getting $16 million a year, and where those guys are all uh, not, just, you know, not just pulling down that AAV, but also a multi-year deal for two or three years, you know, that's Atlanta using... It's it's roster depth, which, it you know, which Grissom represents to get the best possible deal it can on a guy with whose upside is way more than five hundred thousand dollars. I think yeah. the only thing you worry about at the, with the Braves at this point is they don't really have a bench anymore. Like they, they just straight up don't have one. I yeah. think like, who is the backup infielder currently on this team? It's Ooh, David Fletcher or Lurie Garcia. That's say, not where you want to be. All I know is Fletcher off the top of my head. Let me see. Um, well, looking at roster resource, they've got the bench as Forest Wall. Yeah, for, I, and look, I, I understand too with the Braves, the bench matters less because if everyone's healthy, uh, Brian Snitker is not changing this lineup except for flipping in one of Murphy or Darno, depending on you know what day it is or mm. essentially who's pitching. And also, if a guy like Acuna or Albies goes down for an extended period of time, it's not as if Von Grissom or Braden Shoemake or anyone else that they've dealt away was going to be some dude who could step in and immediately replace that production. That that just yeah. was not a realistic option. And I also think it is probably easier for Atlanta to backfill that bench kind of spot with the kind of cheap veterans uh, who do exist, like a Whit Merrifield or, you know, I mean, here, I'll, I'll just pull up again our 2024 free agent tracker to see who's available. Uh, in the middle, in the infield, uh, still available as potential middle infield possibilities who are probably probably come for cheap. Uh, Whit Merrifield, Donovan Solano, Elvis Andrews. Uh, well, don't go to Rugnit Odor. Uh, Brandon uh, Brandon Crawford as is a possibility as well. Gio Urshela. Not sure he's handsome enough. <laughs> Adam Frazier, Ahmed Rosario, um, Tony Kemp, Nick Ahmed. I think Tony are, Kemp's from here. My I'm, I'm surprised Tony Kemp feels already. like a brave. He's from yeah. How's that? How's that not? Happening? Oh, he's from Franklin, Tennessee. Yeah, he's not far. That's Braves uh, country. Tim Anderson is previously yeah. mentioned as another option. You can find those guys, and I imagine the Braves will eventually add one or two of those guys for maybe like three or four million dollars a pop. That's a better use of their resources than having to spend twelve million dollars on Mike Clevenger, who is probably not going to outperform Chris Sale on the whole. And again, Sale's only going to cost them. Five hundred thousand bucks. So yeah, I really like the deal for Atlanta. I think it there's makes no sense risk, and I think if you're like, yeah, that's a the thing. there's no risk for them ultimately. And I think Braves fans may have been like, "Is that all you could get for Von Grissom?" And it's like, here's the problem: the Braves didn't have a lot of leverage with Von Grissom at this point in the trade market. He also didn't have a spot. No. So 
Like, he, he didn't have not, anywhere to play next year. He wasn't going to take Ozzy Albi's spot, obviously. He no. clearly lost the shortstop battle to Orlando Arcia, who is, a, I think at this point, it's, it's very clearly a better player than I think he gets he gets credit for at this point. No, he's an everyday player. Like, Orlando Arcia is an everyday player. Like, you're keeping him around for next year. And it's also worth noting, too, that even if Vaughn Grissom goes to Boston and spends the next six years playing as one of the better second basemen in the league, the Braves already have one of the better second basemen in the league. Correct. They do not need Vaughn Grissom. Vaughn Grissom's likeliest role in Atlanta was to be a super utility guy who yes. probably spent a good chunk of the season at AAA. There's not a whole lot of value in that, even though it's cheap. You yep. know, that is the kind of guy you can find on the free agent market for a few million dollars, especially someone you know where it's like, okay, well, maybe someone like uh, Nick Ahmed doesn't have the offensive upside that Vaughn Grissom does, but he's a fantastic defensive shortstop. And that's what we need more than anything, you know? Mm. A guy like Vaughn Grissom just did not really fit into the puzzle that is Atlanta's roster. I think he's a much better fit for Boston, even if he's not the ideal fit for Boston. Well, I think, too, Vaughn, I think, is going to be in Major League Baseball for a long time. Because what I do think, while I do think it's going to be hard to find an everyday position for him, and maybe he just doesn't have one, the hitting is real. Like, I don't think he's going to have a problem hitting at the major league level long term. I don't think he's going to be a big home run guy, but I do think he's going to be a high average guy for his whole career. Like, it would I, not I mean, surprise I, me if he bounces around this league for 15 years as a utility guy. I can see him being a Jeff McNeil type. Maybe yeah. That, maybe that's a ceiling as a Jeff McNeil type. That's but those guys much, are valuable. That's plenty valuable. It just doesn't make sense for where Atlanta is Correct. with their current roster. Chris Sale makes a lot more sense, especially because we talked before about how little Atlanta had really going on for it fifth starter wise. I mean, it was mm-hmm. going to be Reynaldo Lopez to open the season behind him is guy, are guys like Dodd and Vines and, Sh- and Smith Shaver. Um, I think, I think too, you like the stability that sale brings in the sense that you know what you're going to get from him, even if you're not necessarily going to get a lot of it from him. They also didn't want to clearly give up significant pieces for a guy like Dylan Cease when he was going to walk anyway, and you weren't going to pay him. So yeah, and, and, and that's the other thing. I also don't know what that trade would have looked like for the Braves because, mm. you know, and this is something I think we've talked about as well, that that minor league system doesn't have a ton of depth to it. It's mostly a lot of lottery tickets right now. Yeah. And obviously we don't know what Chicago is looking for in any potential cease trade, but I have to imagine given the state of that roster, they want guys who are ready to play now for cheap who, you know, they can, you know, so they can at least put out a, a, a semi-competent team. It's not you know, we're not looking, they're probably not looking for four 19 year old a ball prospects who might be there in three or four years time. You know, they need something, someone who's ideally going to help them in the near future or is ready to help and plug holes on the major league roster right now. I agree, John. Speaking of Dylan Cease though, I wanted to hit this. Um, uh, um, this might be our last topic for tonight. Buy or sell. Because I'm mm-hmm. seeing this, I was reading an interesting piece about the Orioles, and you talked about how the they've done nothing outside of uh, the Kimbrel signing here. John Taylor is a team that broke through this year. Great young core. It's only getting better. Jackson Holiday on the way. But I ask you, sir, buy mm-hmm. or sell? Orioles will trade for somebody like Dylan Cease or Jesus Lazardo, who they have been uh, connected to this week. What do you think? Or do you think there are other appealing options for them? Because I think no matter what, they have to trade for an arm. Because we, we know they're not going to do it in free agency. Like, we just know that's not how they're going to do things. They have to trade for an arm. They have to go after somebody. who, who do, Those two names make sense? Or do you think they go somewhere else? No, I think those names make sense because they are everything that Baltimore would theoretically want, which is someone who's going to be around for at least some decent amount of time. Um mm-hmm. In that sense, it's probably if I'm sure if if you could uh, if 
you know, they could pick, it would probably be Lizardo over Cease, because like you said, this for Cease, um, and I, I'm just going to double check this while I can, there's not a whole lot of team control left with Dylan no. Cease. Um, he has, this, this will be his second year of arbitration eligibility in 2024, which means he has two full seasons of team control left before he hits free agency. So, I mean, that's that's enough, I think, where Baltimore, a team like Baltimore would probably be comfortable bringing him in, particularly because Baltimore now has such a good reputation as a pitching development and, and pitcher improvement uh, organization that I think they could probably find some way to give him this, to, to find the stability for him that would make him the Cy Young caliber pitcher he was two years ago, as opposed to the walk-riddled mess he was last year. Um, but I think be it Cecil Luzardo, I, I think you're right, Baltimore has to do something to some level. I know that they're banking on a better season from Grayson Rodriguez after he got through his his rookie season hiccups. I know Kyle Bradish looks like a much better pitcher now and looks like someone that, that they can genuinely rely on. They're going to have John Means back, ideally for the whole season after he came back from Tommy John surgery. You can do worse in the back of the rotation than Dean Kramer and Cole Irvin. But I think as we talked about, barring that leap from Rodriguez or even another step forward from Bradish, there's not really the number one guy on that roster where you feel comfortable handing him the ball in game one of a postseason series. I think, you know, with the right adjustments, that's Cease, that's Lazardo. And at the same time, Baltimore has more than enough prospects to make that kind of move. Um, looking at Fangraph's uh, board rank, board prospect rankings, 2023 updated. Obviously, they have uh, Holiday, who we have, or again, I'm going to keep doing it, who uh, is down as the number one overall prospect in baseball. But there's also Kobe Mayo, Joey Ortiz, and they're they're they are loaded, loaded, loaded with position players. Joey Ortiz, Hessen Kierstad, Colton Kowser, Connor Norby, Dylan Beavers, uh, their most recent draft pick, Enrique Bradfield Jr., Judd Fabian, former Florida star uh, back in 2022, uh, Samuel Basalo, Frederick Ben, Ben, sorry, Ben Cosme. Uh, there is a ton of position player depth in the system, and I think that in particular would be really appealing to Chicago especially because some of these guys, Ortiz, Kierstad, Kowser, Norby, they are ready or very close to ready to being able to contribute at the major league level, which they'll be able to do in the next six years for relatively cheap. You know, this isn't something where you'd have to be banking on lottery tickets. You can build something theoretically around, say, Ortiz, Judd Fabian, and maybe two arms somewhere further down in the system. You know, and that, and Baltimore can survive that. That's not a huge mm -hmm. blow to Baltimore's, to Baltimore's prospect or farm system depth. You know, they can live with that. So it really does just become a matter of what do they think is do they would they rather keep that powder dry for a different trade maybe down the road is Cease the kind of guy they feel comfortable in I mean look there, there's a possibility Baltimore's done its homework looked at Cease and gone you know what too risky don't feel good about trying to make that work Chicago's asking prices too high whatever it happens to be but I I do feel like there has to be something done with that rotation to add something in the form not just in in terms of a, a top end arm but also then to give you more depth at the bottom. Because as it stands right now, like I said, you've got Dean Kramer and Cole Irvin both in that rotation as the number four or five guys. Uh, and beyond that, there's, you know, the, the Orioles, if there's one thing they have not really uh, fully come around to developing, it's starting pitching depth. You know, they've done great things with their position players. But pitching-wise, you know, they've got the closest you've got to, to being a, a good or top prospect ready for the majors is Cade Povich who is 24 years old, uh, got the AAA last year, A good looks like a good young pitcher, but certainly I don't think a guy that the, the Orioles are going to be trying to rush to the majors anytime soon. Beyond that, you've got guys who are more toward the, the bottom half of their farm system rankings. Povich is in the top five, but after that we have 
uh, guys anywhere from 17 to 35 in the rankings. You know, those aren't those aren't guys you expect to be uh, sorry that you expect to be impact arms, nor do they really have anyone projected to come off the injured list this season who's going to be a help. You know, last year was the idea that, oh, John Means will be back at some point. That'll give us a rotation uh, that'll lengthen our rotation. He's back now. There's no one else really coming. There are no real reinforcements in the system. Assuming that they don't want to give the money necessary to get Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery, which I think is still a realistic option, even though you said, I, you know, no, the Orioles won't sign people, but all that costs is money, and the Orioles have endless amounts of payroll space. But do you, you think they're going to do that? Does that feel like an Orioles no, move? No, I no, think they would no. do it only if they could get, only if Snell, for example, were willing to do some short-term high AAV deal to try to get back on the market in a little bit. But I, I even then, I don't really know. So it, it's just kind of hard to tell what the Orioles are going to do because they just don't ever really seem to show any interest in doing anything in the first place. You know, mm -hmm. they seem committed to this idea of, we'll just let this young core gel and then we'll figure it out. But it's like, no, you need to be a little more aggressive with this, you know, real valuable major league contributors. Like right now, I say what you want about, you know, what, whether Dylan sees is an ace or something lesser than that. He can help you today far more so than I think a guy like Heston Kierstad or, or, or Colton Kowser can or Joey Ortiz, or, or a number of other guys who are still, at this point, more potential than actual production. So I, I do think Baltimore will do something, but or at least I think they should do something, and I think they would be able to do it without suffering too much in the process, but it's really anyone's guess at this point as to what they actually do, because they just don't... They, they really hug those prospects down there in, in the Charm City. They, they love them some prospects. They do. I'm... I think the AL East is going to be so interesting. I think I'm more on your side going into next year. I keep saying next year. It's 2024 this it, year. It is this year. It is this year. F spring training starts in like six weeks. Well, you know what? We're so Tennessee close. Baseball's back in like 34 days, John Taylor. Tennessee what? Oh. Baseball? Tennessee baseball. I have not heard of this. This is new to me. Mm -hmm. Manny this Ramirez is... will be on our campus sooner rather than later. That that is really cool. He they should hire him as the coach. No, well, no, we need we need Vitello, but like <laughs> as like it some we can find a role for Manny. Like I just I need him to make it to campus. I need him not to get drafted too high. Where uh, I think Lucas is his name makes it to uh, makes it to campus because me being able to like just look over and Manny Ramirez is just sitting in Tennessee garb like. 30 feet away from me as I'm watching a very cold Tennessee baseball game in like late February. But he's also still wearing like a Hawaiian shirt or something. Yeah. Like just, I, I can't wait to send that picture to you, John and be like, what is life? You never know. You never gray, know how things end up. Dreadlocked many Ramirez is generally one of my favorite things too. Yeah. Well, you know, Bryce Harper lives here now. Bryce Harper is going to turn up at a Tennessee baseball game. That's really funny to think about. Yeah um i don't know but like all that to say with the al east i just i think the orioles are really betting on being able to run it back with their young core they feel mm -hmm. good about stuff jackson holiday on the way but you have a team like the blue jays in total like influx mode where they just felt like that i feel bad for the jays because if they don't get linked to Otani and the flight stuff doesn't come out and it doesn't look like they got left at the altar in the last minute and they got bamboozled, you know, then we look at their offseason a little bit different because it just that just took the wind out of their sails. And it just I think all Blue Jays fans are just kind of like, man, I thought we were getting Otani and now we're really not doing anything. And I don't yeah, know if we're going right. to keep being good, even though we have Vlad Guerrero Jr., even though we do have 
Bo Bichette. We have a great core, and we have spent well. You don't feel... I just Blood. feel like the Blue Jays fans don't have the warm and fuzzies. Yeah, in a second. Uh, is just not... Kristen, can you get It's not food? feeling great. And then Thank you, you look at the Yankees, who trades for Juan Soto, and yes. they're probably going to bounce back, I assume. And then you have the Red Sox, who I'm just... I think I'm with you, where I think they're just going to be bad. And I think they're going to be the worst team. But then you have the Rays, who I have no idea what Tampa is going to look like. But we do this every year where you and I have this conversation in our preseason of like the Rays. Like, are we sure they're not winning the division, even though everything I, I, points to the Rays falling off? I have I, no I, idea what the AL East is going to look like next year. For the 80th straight offseason, I give up with the Rays. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. They're, just, they're better and smarter than all of us. They don't have to do anything because this will just happen in perpetuity. Like, I'll be on my deathbed. And the last thing I'll be muttering is, how are the Rays doing this shit? And then I'll croak and, and that'll be the end of me. But mm. yeah, I, yeah. And I think this goes back to what I was saying before. It's like, it is strange to me that the AL East this rough and tumble, huge division where you have any of these four teams leaving the Red Sox out who are realistic contenders. And yet none of them has really done much this offseason. Obviously again, mm. the Yankees got Soto. That's a huge move and we can't understate that. But aside from that, it's been really quiet for these four teams so far. You know, and, yeah. and like you said, I think some of that is the, just the perception of the Blue Jays as being spurned by Otani as opposed to coming in, coming in second in a race where, in retrospect, it was really like it was really obvious who was going to win that race. But mm. at the same time, it, it, it has just been a weirdly quiet offseason in the AL East. And I think for Baltimore in particular, that's just so strange because you have this opportunity now with Tampa. You know, you know, Tampa's never going to be a big player in free agency. You, the Jays are just clearly waiting around for someone to fall into their price range. I think similarly with the Yankees, there seems to be a real hesitance to get involved in any kind of long-term deal at this point. The Red Sox are, are, are very much you know, in a, in a different position. They're clearly in some kind of pe rebuild period. Now is a real opportunity to go out and acquire the kind of difference-making piece that can, that can boost your odds to win that division, avoid the wild card, maybe even get yourself the number one seed from the American League. And instead, they're just sitting around going, oh, I guess Craig Kimbrell. Which, who they wouldn't have even brought in if Felix Bautista were healthy, which is obvious. But at mm -hmm. the same time, it's been a very quiet offseason for everybody. And I just find that kind of strange that no one is trying to get that leg up on everyone else in a division where it might come down to one win, two wins, three wins, where that impact player like a Blake Snell, like a Jordan Montgomery, like a Cody Bellinger could easily swing the balance of the American League East. I can't wait. I think it's going to be fun and it's going to be a sneaky, really interesting division going into this season I'm, it's going to take a while to get used to it being 2024 john taylor but i'm uh, still writing i'm still writing 23 on my checks you know checks are you writing checks all... yeah you don't write checks we all love writing checks this thing we all still do in the year 2024 you know i've never actually written a check you've never and i guess i never will no wow you've never had anything where you've had to send in a check when i when i um i got my passport renewed i've signed I a lot of checks over the years Okay, look at you, Mr. Mark Cuban over here, <laughs> Shark Tank. It was more of like when I was growing up, like, let me be perfectly clear. When I was a janitor uh, back oh, okay. in the day, and I like, I'm getting paid a paper check when I'm picking up my uh, every oh, so other week. Oh, so you're, you're endorsing the check on the back. Yes, I'm endorsing yeah. it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, yeah. No, but well, yeah, I guess they're, they're look, you probably aren't. The only thing you really need checks for, like, like I said, I think I had to. I think I had to make out a check uh, when I got my passport renewed last year, 
Mm. Some government agencies, I think, still want to have a check in some capacity or another. But I don't even know how to get a check. I don't know what to put on a check. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> most of it just... is just you fill in. It, it tells you what to write for the most part. I don't know. Seems a little daunting. Millennials and, and millennials these days would rather eat avocado toast <laughs> and binge Netflix and mm-hmm. have pronouns than mm-hmm. balance a checkbook. Yeah. Spend a fax. Yeah. Or or have a job Eat for red beat in straight years. Get yeah. A pension and a gold Rolex when they retire. Mm-hmm. Buy a house. Millennials don't even want to buy houses nowadays. What has gone wrong? No. They want to rent. They don't want to yeah. they just they want to make less. They want to make less. more and they rent. Want have, they want to have worse health insurance. They want to have yeah. worse career prospects. What what is wrong with America? We'll leave it there, John Taylor. <laughs> Not a Fangraphs.com, but we still will encourage good folks every single week on this show to go subscribe to Fangraphs.com, a very good Major League Baseball website, because yep. they're still friends of the show uh, here each and every week. So go check out the good folks over there and read all the great baseball coverage across the internet, but um, all kinds of great stuff. John Taylor, always a pleasure, my good sir, and I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.